Welcome to A Story Most Queer, where every week we bring you a new story about queer characters and lifestyles, written by queer authors, narrated by queer voices. Pocket-sized queer stories for everyone. A Story Most Queer is brought to you by Mischief Media. This week's story is Prima Donna, written by Kathleen Jowett, read by Julia Rittenberg. I hear you've taken on Delphine Vincent Leclerc, said Henry Carraway to his great friend and great rival, Alexandre Perret. You're a braver man than I am. Perret puffed at his cigar and tried not to let his discomfiture show. Oh, what's wrong with Mademoiselle Vincent Leclerc? Carraway stroked his whiskers with a satisfied air. Oh, nothing at all, on her own. A charming young woman, and an astonishing voice. She has unrivaled purity and clarity in the top register. I don't think I've ever heard such an exquisite Norma. Perret stopped the flow with a wave of his hand. Then why do you call me a brave man? Carraway smiled slowly. Because you have Little Valley under contract. Also, Perret said coolly, a charming woman with an exquisite voice. You didn't hear then? Ah, but of course, it must have been the winter before last, or was it 32, when you were obliged to go down to the seaside for your health anyway? She didn't tell you when you took her on? Carraway, Perret growled. What didn't she tell me? Carraway looked very innocent. Why, that the reason Vallée broke her contract at the Licorne was that Vincent Leclerc insisted on doing Les Liseurs d'Amore. There wasn't a part for Vallée. She could have been Gianetta, Perret said, knowing he sounded sulky. When she'd sung Romeo the month before, she's a proud woman, Perret. I know it. Carraway sighed with the sincere concern of a man who did not employ Federica Valley. And it's only going to get worse, you know. Nobody's writing the parts that she likes these days. In 30 years' time, she'll only be cast as a witch or a crone. By which time she will be old enough to play either convincingly, Perret observed dryly. I shall leave you to put that argument to her. In any case, my dear fellow, this is opera. If the audience is pleased to believe in her as the gallant hero despite her sex and height, why shouldn't it accept her as a character twice her own age? Perret smiled. Indeed, but my scheme for the moment is to give the audience what I know it likes. I propose to put on Tancredi. Carraway whistled. So they'll be the lovers? Valley as Tancredi? Vincent Leclerc as Aminade? Precisely. Well, Carraway said pityingly. Perhaps it won't go so badly as all that. Tancredi spends most of the action convinced of Aminade's treachery. It might be quite effective. And will you have the happy ending or the sad one? I haven't decided yet, Perret said in chilly tones, and Carraway had the sense to let the matter drop. Signora Valley had been complacent when she entered Perret's office. Now she was suspicious, and the more he spoke about the opera, the more suspicious she was clearly becoming. He pressed on regardless. And so what do you think, dear Signora? It's an excellent role, and you would show very well in it. He paused a moment to examine her expression. My dear Monsieur Perret, Signora Valley said, what is it that you're not telling me? He took care to hold her eye. Might I assume that everything I've proposed so far is agreeable to you, Signora? She smiled a wry, lopsided smile, suspiciously so. Tell me, what is it? Aminade, he muttered. Did I misunderstand? 
You want me to sing Aminid, not Tancredi? Bally seemed surprised, but not unpleasantly so. For all that she had sung almost exclusively in breaches the last three seasons, Perret knew that she was not averse to the idea of playing the heroine instead of the hero, and the top of her range was as bright and secure as ever it had been. Faithful Aminid was perhaps a less interesting character than heroic Jealous Tancredi, but her part was no less delightful for that. He hastened to correct her. No, that is, you do misunderstand. I want you as Tancredi. I have engaged Madame Vincent Leclerc as Aminade. Valley frowned. Indeed, she said. I've been given to understand that the two of you have had your disagreements in the past. Her frown deepened, but she said, hardly. Have found it difficult to work together, then? Still less that. Monsieur Perret, I never had the opportunity to work with the woman. She forced me out of the licorne and my contract. Perret leaned forward and patted her hand somewhat awkwardly. That, I can assure you, will not happen here. Signora Valli resettled herself in her chair, rather in the manner of a bird shaking ruffled feathers back into place. Very well. In that case, I can have no objections. Perret failed to entirely stifle a sigh. I'm delighted to hear it. We should be very sorry to lose you, but of course you understand that the opera is greater than all of us. No more about this, Valley exclaimed. Only I trust that you will remember what I have told you. I will not move over for her again. Perret said hurriedly, of course, to another matter then. It was often his practice to consult with artists on questions of interpretation or staging. At the moment, it seemed more politic than ever to demonstrate to Valley that he valued her opinion. I haven't yet decided whether to adopt the Ferrara ending or to retain the original. Do you have any preference? Valley shrugged her shoulders. What does it matter? I die in her arms or I live in her arms. Either way, I forgive her treachery. Tancredi discovers that Aminade is innocent. Perret reminded her. Is that so? I must look at the final act again. She rose, held her hand out for him to kiss, and swept out. It could, he reflected, have been very much worse. Delphine Vincent Leclerc affected not to know of any reason why she and Federica Valley might not appear opposite each other. I don't believe I've ever met her, she told Perret, when he invited her to discuss the question. I've heard her sing, of course, and have the greatest admiration for her talent. If she chooses to be jealous of me, well... She dismissed the matter with an ironic smile. Her brother, who had accompanied her, added, as well she might. She told him, Monsieur Perret has his own opinions as to our respective talents, Thierry. Perret said, You must understand, mademoiselle, that Signora Valley has been a great asset to the reputation of this company. He knew he was on dangerous ground here. Some singers would have snatched the contract up from where it lay on the blotter and torn it in two. Young Monsieur Vincent Leclerc glared at Perret, but did not speak. His sister merely smiled once more, whereas I might well be a flash in the pan. I understand. I repeat, Monsieur, that you will not regret engaging me, and if Signora Valley does, then that's her affair. I shan't pick a quarrel with her, but nor will I tolerate bullying. There are many opera companies in the world, you know. Perret nodded. He could not reasonably ask for more. But none that are doing Tancredi this season, he said. Tell me, do you prefer the happy version or the sad one? She sat for a little while in silence, her dark head on one side. 
If it's a question of artistic integrity, she said with an unconscious pomposity that reminded him suddenly how young she was. One ought to prefer the original, the happy ending. Although I believe the original legend ends with the hero's death. Which do you intend to do? The Ferrara version has never been as successful as the original, Perret said. But tragic endings are in fashion at the moment. It might work. I haven't yet decided. In that case, she said with a smile, I shall concentrate on learning the first part of the opera before I turn my attention to the finale. She tapped the contract with one pretty forefinger. This is my copy? Yes, the one on the top. Please take it. He rose to open the door. Thank you, Mademoiselle Vincent Leclerc. Thank you, Monsieur Perret. I am looking forward very much to working with you. She nodded at her brother and stood up. Perret reflected as he closed the door after them that he had forgotten to ask her why she had left the licorne. Rehearsals began. The whole company seemed to be holding its collective breath. Rumor swirled around the unknown quantity, Mademoiselle Vincent Leclerc, and around the known, Signora Valley. Rumor said that Vincent Leclerc had been thrown out of the Licorne Company in disgrace. Valley had waited at the stage door on the night of the premiere of L'Eliseur d'Amore and had tried to scratch out Vincent Leclerc's eyes. Monsieur Bertrand, still clad in Nemorino's wig and grease paint, had been forced to break them apart. Surely there would be fireworks when they were put on stage together. The company was indecently excited by the prospect. The company was disappointed. Rehearsals began around the pianoforte, under the direction of Herr Buchner, and were conducted in perfect decorum. Signora Valli, to the musical director's left, sang through Tancredi's jealous rages with parlor politeness. Mademoiselle Vincent Leclerc, at his right, answered them all with Amenade's meekness. The other principals dropped their parts into place equally dispassionately. Jean Lenoir, sitting at the back of the room and making notes for the staging, was almost worried. He consoled himself with the thought that people did not, in general, come to the opera to see acting. It was not until Perret finally settled on the happy ending and Lenoir started to block out the movements that the trouble started. As ever, Valley refused to rehearse in skirts, claiming that since she would be wearing breeches for the performance, she needed to accustom herself to being able to move freely around the stage. Vincent Leclerc, who had, after all, sung opposite plenty of women in travesti in her past, had indeed occasionally portrayed those parts herself, seemed not to find this remarkable. But Valley still regarded her suspiciously, as if daring her to object. In actual fact, it did not occur to Delphine Vincent Leclerc to object. Rumor was wrong, at least in her case. No one had ever questioned her respect for Signora Valli's vocal talents. The weeks of rehearsal had deepened it into a warm admiration. But Delphine was finding that it was one thing to stand next to Valli at the pianoforte to sing through Rossini's music as if neither of them had any more feeling than a tin soldier. It was another thing entirely to see her swagger around the stage with the hero's poise and assurance, to be embraced by her, cast from her. Valley was coldly professional in her conduct, stepping in and out of character as easily as Herr Buchner lifted and replaced his baton. As Tancredi, she was passionate, living his love and his fury through the masterful use of her voice and the movement of her body. As herself, she was scrupulously polite to Delphine, 
and patient with the rest of the company. If, during the wedding scene, Buchner or Lenoir called for a pause to discuss some detail, she would offer a hand to help Delphine to her feet from where, as Tancredi, she had thrown her moments before. But she was equally quick to release that same hand. Delphine, whose attitude of hopeless devotion was growing increasingly unfeigned, found it less easy to distinguish between Vali and Tancredi, and found that the gap between the two became more painful every day. She did her best to content herself with what was within her reach, the opportunity to express her feelings in music, to recline in Vali's embrace, even if only in the persons of Amanet and Tancredi, and with what any ordinary devotee of the opera might ask for. She collected old playbills with Federica Valli's name on them and poured over the collection of reviews that Monsieur Play kept in his office for the edification of any of his singers who chose to look at them. When she went to have her costume fitted, she asked Madame Mouget, Is there a Signor Valli? As a matter of fact, Madame Mouget said, There was. Turn around, would you? There was! The wardrobe mistress made an indistinct affirmative noise. When she had removed some pins from her mouth, she added, he died five, perhaps six years ago? What was he like? He was a very quiet, gentle man. We only ever saw him on opening nights, but by all accounts he was devoted to the signora, and she to him. She was dreadfully upset when he died. Was he very old? Oh, no, not at all. He was a little bit older than the signora, but not enough to make a difference. It was an accident. He was thrown off his horse. Would you raise your right arm? Thank you. Delphine reconstructed in her memory the operas that she had seen as a student, imagining herself hero or heroine opposite Valley. She put on cloak and veil and went around all the printers and stationers until she found an engraving of Federica Valley. Finding two, she bought both and tucked them, unwisely, in the front of her score. There was hell to pay when they returned to their copies to settle a question about Fra Quai Soavi Palpiti, and the pictures slipped out and swooped to the floor face up. Vali pounced on them, an expression of disbelief on her face. It was swiftly replaced by fury. She mocks me. I warned you, Monsieur Perret, that I would not be insulted. Her look of scorn was fearsome, but Delphine said, believe me, I'm not mocking you. My admiration for you. See, she does it still, Vali exclaimed. But Signora Vali, Lenoir said. Delphine, blushing furiously, tried once again. There was no one more devoted. Little viper. I, how can I, no, believe me. Hiding her face, she rushed from the stage, not knowing where she was going, hoping to find a quiet spot where she could regain her composure. But there were footsteps behind her, quick, angry. In front of her, there were curtains, and then a brick wall. Cornered as she was, Delphine chose to fight. She turned around. Signora Valli, she said, why do you hate me so? Vali scowled. You dare to ask me? To pretend you don't know? I don't know, she protested. I have admired you for so long. I saw you as Rosina when I first came to Paris to study. I wanted more than anything to sing alongside you. Or perhaps, Valley said, you merely wanted what I had, so you took it. No, why should I do anything to harm you? Valley set her lips in a thin line and shook her head. I don't know why you should. All I know is that you did. When? What? L'Eliseur d'Amour, eh? Valley said, rolling the R aggressively. Delphine was still mystified. 
What of it? What of it? Why, only that you went out of your way to find an opera with only one soprano part to speak of and persuaded Don Grace to put it on. I, no. The accusation was so unexpected that she could find nothing but monosyllabic denial. Who says that? Who? Everybody. It's common gossip. She felt the scorch of injustice rise in her throat and anger close behind it. Well, you shouldn't listen to common gossip then. It's untrue. When I was engaged, les liseurs d'amour had already been decided upon, in fact. But that wound was too raw to be offered as justification. In fact, what? Who chose it then? How should I know? Delphine muttered. It's a good question, said Signora Valley. Then, suddenly gentle. But in fact, I think that you do. Delphine was conscious of hot tears of shame springing to her eyes. If it was anyone, she said, it was Bertrand. Valley drew her breath in with a little hiss. Ah, she said softly. Ah, yes. And he got you the part, did he? She shrugged her shoulders unhappily. Well, he said so. I suppose I'll never know. You didn't think of turning it down? A part like Adina? No, of course not. Would you have done so? Valley laughed. No, I suppose not. She paused. Tell me about Bertrand, then. Delphine felt her face grow hot. There isn't much to tell. He promised me an audition, a favorable one, in exchange for... Well, I'm sure you can imagine. At least he kept the bargain. As well he ought to have done, Valley said unexpectedly. You're more than capable. She was more discomfited by Valley's praise than she had been either by her anger or by embarrassment. I was disappointed when you left the licorne, she confessed. I'd hoped, well, you know, I told you. I wanted to sing with you. Valley laughed. <sighs> you weren't chasing me out. You were chasing me down. She said it with a sparkle in her eye that set Delphine's heart racing. Yes, she agreed. I suppose that's true. Signora Valley started to say something, but Lenoir, presumably rattled by their continued absence, called, Principles for the finale, please! And she turned away. After that, things were better. Valley was as professional as ever, but she was kinder now. Delphine tried not to let herself think that it could possibly mean anything more than kindness. Perret was visibly relieved. So was Lenoir, Delphine thought, but it was obvious in nothing so much as an increasing fussiness in matters of staging. Signora Valley, he called one day as they rehearsed the first act. Could you contrive to sing wearing a helmet? No doubt, she called back. The question is, could the audience hear me if I did? It might work like an ear trumpet, Delphine suggested, and felt her face grow hot as she realized the implications of that. All eyes turned to her, but Valley only laughed and patted her on the upper arm. The company released its breath. Shall we try? A stagehand was dispatched to request something suitable from the wardrobe mistress and returned with a great gilt Roman affair with a scruffy plume. Valley put it on. It's no good, she said after a few bars. I can't hear anything except myself. Her Buchner was nodding in agreement. Could we... Lenoir made some vague gestures up around his ears. Could you wear it tipped back on your head, like a ten? Valley looked skeptical. If it were lighter than this one, perhaps? 
you would have to see if Madame Mouget has any suggestions about how to keep it on. Don't fret, Pierre, Herr Buchner said. This is opera. They all know she isn't a man. They won't expect her to look taller than Mademoiselle Vincent Leclerc. No, Delphine thought. Federica Valley was no man. And it was only the unspoken agreement between cast and audience that would let her play one. Tancredi was a man. Valley was singing Tancredi. Therefore, for the duration of the three acts of the opera, they would all agree to accept her as a man. And yet, Delphine, wronged and vindicated herself, found it easy to present Amenade. But there was more to it than that. It was not solely as Amenade that she sang of love and devotion. There was more and more of herself getting in there. When Tancredi took Amenade in his arms, it was not solely as Amenade that she clung to him. When Lenoir called for them to stop while something was moved or corrected, it was Delphine Vincent Leclerc who regretted the fact that Federica Valley had to let go of her hand. It was hopeless, she knew, doomed to last only until the curtain fell, and was never to be spoken of out with the confines of the opera. Already she was dreading the end of the run. Perhaps after the first night it would all be over. She thought wryly of L'Eliseur d'Amore, but there was no such thing as the elixir of love, and besides, the very idea seemed presumptuous. One couldn't imagine Federica Valli the subject of sorcery. She would move with her own inclinations, or not at all. The playbills went up. The tickets went on sale. The first dress rehearsal was appalling, the second tolerable. The first night came too soon. It struck her all at once, along with the sight of her own face strange in her makeup. Suddenly, the noise of the theater, the squeaks and gurgles of the orchestra warming up, the shouts of the callboy, even Marie-Claude bustling around the dressing room, all seemed to have jumped away from her, to exist in their own remote universe, spinning around in what was presumably their appointed order while Delphine was caught, frozen, in the middle. Mademoiselle, Marie-Claude was saying. Mademoiselle, are you quite well? Delphine nodded, largely because she knew that this was what was expected of her. It did not seem to satisfy Marie-Claude, who was holding a glass to her lips. The liquid was cool and strong, and it made her sputter. Everything rushed back in. It was the opening night. She was Amenade. In three hours, it might all be over. And she was as much responsible for success or failure as anyone else here. And more than most. That was it. That was the fact that terrified her. Marie-Claude had taken the glass away again. Delphine turned her head to see where she had gone. Oh, she was at the door. Is everything all right? Somebody was asking. Horrified, Delphine recognized the voice as that of Federica Valli. She opened her mouth to call out that all was well, that there was nothing to be concerned about, but she could not speak. Mademoiselle Vincent Leclerc is feeling a little faint, Marie-Claude was saying rather grudgingly. Oh, the poor thing. Have you given her water? Delphine could not hear what Marie-Claude said in reply. She turned around in her seat. Valli looked absurd in her wrapper and Tancredi's breeches and armor. But her expression was all kindness. She tut-tutted. That won't do at all. Annetta, she called. My little case, please. And then suddenly, she had drawn up a chair next to Delphine at the mirror, and the two dressers were still in the doorway, squabbling over a Morocco case. The usual bottle, please, Annetta, Valise said without looking at them. Annetta approached and retreated, 
and suddenly there was an exquisite little glass held under Delphine's nose. Can you take a little sip for me? Valley asked. It's what I use myself. One or two drops will do it, I promise you. If this were an opera, Delphine thought with an edge of hysteria, it would be poison. She had seen Valley's name on a playbill for Rosamunda d'Inghilterra. Who had she played? The queen or Rosamunda? Delphine could not remember. She drank obediently. The substance was sweet and sharp, and she felt less panicked immediately. That's better, Vali said. Delphine handed the glass back to her. Thank you, she said. Vali beckoned Aneta over and handed her the bottle and the leather case. Would you take care of this? Don't put the bottle back in without wiping it. Thank you. And Marie-Claude, isn't it? Would you take the glass? Be careful. Delphine caught sight of Marie-Claude's frown in the mirror. It's all right, she said. I'll call if I need you. The dressers glanced suspiciously at each other and left. My dear, Valley said softly. What on earth is the matter? She laid her left hand over Delphine's and put her other arm around her shoulders. Do you suffer from stage fright? Delphine shook her head. No, yes, I never have before. She was shivering. How ridiculous. The temperature was perfectly comfortable in here, and there was the warmth of Valley's body, too. I find it easier, Veli said, at the performance, when one can't see all those faces. Usually I like an audience, Delphine said, but this time I... She broke off. How could she say it? How could she say that she was terrified that the production would be a failure and that tonight would be the last time she would feel Vali's arms around her? A sob broke from her. Hush, don't cry. Remember your grease paint. Veli produced a handkerchief from somewhere in her costume and dabbed carefully at Delphine's eyes. Listen, you will be very good. Monsieur Perret has his faults, but he does not employ singers who are not up to the part. Never. Why do you worry? You were excellent in L'Eliseur d'Amore. Everyone says so. Even I say so. You're far more kind to me than I deserve, Delphine said. I? Not at all. It's in all our interests that the opera is a success. That's why I worry, Delphine burst out. I fear that I'll disappoint you. Valley put the handkerchief down, and with the tips of her fingers turned Delphine's head so that they looked at each other in the eyes. Listen, she said, and her expression was very tender. You cannot disappoint me. If you are bad, then they will say, Valley may be an old hag, but my God, she can still sing, not like these young girls. If you are good, then we will triumph together. You are not an old hag, Delphine protested. Compared to you, my dear, I am. Oh, no, you couldn't be, not to anyone who knows you. Not to me, she wanted to say. You're a sweet child, Felice smiled, an enchanting lopsided smile. Delphine could not quite bear to look at it, and she turned her face away. Is that what you think of me, she said. A child. Valley seemed surprised. No, I suppose not. A young woman with a sweet nature and good looks and a good voice. Everything that I ought to be afraid of, in fact. Delphine turned back to her. Surely you can't be afraid of my sweet nature, she protested. Ah, you're laughing. That's better. Belly's eyes were sparkling. No, especially your sweet nature. It's very dangerous. Why? The laughter drained from Belly's eyes. Why? I think you know. Everybody will fall in love with you, and I shall be forgotten. It was not, Delphine suspected, how she had been intending to finish that sentence. Well, she said, I shan't fall in love with them, and I won't forget you, not ever. 
This time, it was Vali who turned her head away with a groan. There, I said you were dangerous. Sooner or later, I'm going to believe you. And why not? Delphine said softly. It's the truth. She took both of Vali's hands in her own and raised them to her lips. It might have been the homage paid by a young singer to a great prima donna. It might have been, and it was. And yet, it was more than that, and they both knew it. For a moment later, Vali unclasped their joined hands and leaned forward and kissed Delphine's lips. They were startled by a sharp rap at the door. Mademoiselle Vincent Leclerc, five minutes, please. Oh, Delphine said helplessly. Vali got to her feet and twitched the sleeve of Delphine's costume back into place. Delphine, my dear, she said. You will do famously. Delphine nodded. Thank you, Signora Vali. Oh, no, Federica. Vali smiled that lopsided smile at her once more and dropped another kiss on her lips. Then she opened the door and called, Marie-Claude, Annetta! She hurried Marie-Claude back into Delphine's dressing room and went off with Annetta to finish dressing. Marie-Claude fussed around like a small whirlwind, rearranging Delphine's costume, setting her wig upon her head, dabbing at her grease paint. Delphine stood there like a dressmaker's mannequin, doing her best to steady her heartbeat and slow her breathing. She simply could not afford to think about any of it. There you go, mademoiselle, Marie-Claude said at last. You look very nice. Delphine nodded and pressed her dresser's hand. Thank you, she said. She hurried up the twisting staircase that led to the stage and, standing in the wings, listened to the orchestra galloping towards the conclusion of the overture. Soon, she hardly dared bring it to mind, she would be in Vallée's arms, Federica's arms, once more. But first she had to sing. In the end, it was not so difficult. The sickly glare of the limelight erased the faces of the audience, as Federica had reminded her it would. It was easy to sing of love, of joy, of rapture, and it was easier to be Aminade than she had expected. Her bliss was the greater now that Federica had kissed her, but it was Aminade's bliss. When Tancredi thrust her from him, it was Aminade's wound that she felt. It was only when the curtain fell at the end of the first act that she let herself turn to Federica Valley. It's good, the prima donna said. It's very good. There was a pride in her voice that seemed to encompass the whole production, but which glowed like a halo around herself and Delphine. Afterwards, Delphine could never remember the second act in any detail. She was present in each note, each word, each gesture, and when they were gone, she did not remember them. She was very conscious of the rest of the cast and where they stood on the stage, of Herr Buchner's lively hands and the orchestra following him, of the audience's absorption in the whole of it. The spell held. Even the mistakes, the missed notes, the moment where she tripped on the hem of her costume became part of the work. She was born. They were all born onwards to the finale. And at last she stood, dazed, curtsying, Federica Valley at her side and applause raining down on them with flowers. She wanted to take Federica's hand. She wanted to embrace her. She wanted to kiss her, and she knew she could not do any of it. Again and again, the curtain rose and fell until Delphine was giddy with it. When at last they were allowed to go, it was Federica who took Delphine's hand to lead her off stage. Hurry, she said. Monsieur Perret will be so upset if we're late for the delightful little party he's prepared for us all. Oh, 
Delphine said. She did not know, really, what she had hoped for, but it had not been a delightful little party. I'm sure that will be charming, Federica lowered her voice. But afterwards, if you haven't thought any better of it, perhaps you and I... Her heart leapt. Oh, she murmured. Yes, afterwards. A laugh. You must read all the little notes that you find in your dressing room before you answer me. I don't believe I shall need to. Delphine stepped aside to let Federica go down the stairs to the dressing rooms. The stage door was open, and she could hear men's voices drifting in together with the chilly evening breeze as she followed her down. Remarkable, wasn't it? Indeed, remarkable. La Vallée, divine! Vincent Leclerc, the first man countered. Beautiful. They hate each other, you know, the other said. I know. I heard that Vallée tried to poison Vincent Leclerc. Yes, but can you blame her after she forced her out of the licorne? At the foot of the stairs, Federica turned around and caught Delphine's eye and held her hands out, smiling. Thank you for listening to A Story Most Queer. This week's story was Prima Donna, written by Kathleen Jowett and read by Julia Rittenberg. This episode was edited by Leah Cornish. Our outro music is Round Daytime by Paratune. If you like the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. It really helps others find us. You can follow us on social. We are A Story Most Queer on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you would like to submit a story, head over to astorymostqueer.mischiefmedia.com to read over our FAQs and fill out the form. You can also check out mischiefmedia.com for the other shows on our network. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week for another Story Most Queer.